What's up, guys? Welcome back to Storytime with Uncle Reddit. My name's John, and this is our slash tales from Tech Support. Another long day of working on my domestic duties today, doing a little cooking, doing a little pre-cooking so we can preserve and freeze some stuff. And now here I am to do some tech support with you guys. No cats, unfortunately, right now. The vacuum cleaner scared them out of the room a little while ago, and uh, they're going to make me suffer for a while before they come back. So. so anyway, let's do some tech support. The Enemies Within. I smell trout and sloppy opsec. Episode 131. There's a few of these stories. I'll let you guys know right now. There's a few of these stories from this person, uh, Nero Bro. Thank you, Nero Bro, for your contributions and uh, really appreciate having these stories to read. I'm going to have to go back and start looking for other older episodes and uh, let's get to it. Hey, that's a long story. Well, phishing reporting tool leaks data to attackers. If you're buying a security tool, make sure you know how it works. During my onboarding, it was clear that they expected some security. They emphasized a few things. The absurd level of 2FA hoops and frequent password changes definitely reinforced that. I was informed that we'd be tested on phishing attempts, and I was trained on how to report them. We have a plug-in to Outlook just for reporting phishing. When you send the report, what the plugin does is it saves a copy of the email as an attachment, then emails it to the security group. So I got some really fishy emails, which reference messages from teams. It turns out that these are normal, and the messages looking weird is normal. It's not my first time on Teams, but it is my first time getting those emails. I'm on my, like, first day looking at an email that just smells of spearfishing. It's got my name, but nothing is rendering well. And it has no specific details. So I report the email, and that's when things get pear-shaped. After I hit the report email link, it fully loads the email. The HTML, the images, it does all the linking and then packages that up and sends it. Thankfully, this was internally through sloppily generated email. If it were a real phishing attempt, whoever sent it would now know the external IP of my network, that the email was opened, what images I loaded. This is a lot of useful information if you're going to try to manipulate a target. This upset me. If you're going to strangle me with multiple 2FAs a day, rapid password changes, and are going to beat me about the head with a trout over security, don't do the bad thing outside my control. The first ticket I opened at the company was one for me, about this security hole. The security team didn't understand what was happening. Their first response, which I got twice, was, don't open the email. And I didn't. The security team's response speed wasn't great. It was a solid eight emails later before we finally were communicating on any sort of useful level. It turns out they had never really looked at how the tool worked, <laughs> and its behavior was just that bad. They weren't renewing the contract anyway, so it's gone now. Yeah, I got mixed feelings on the multiple password changes and things like that. There are companies and organizations, governmental organizations even, that'll have you do it, you know, once a quarter is a pain in the butt. Once a year seems more than reasonable to me. Once a month starts getting super stupid, but uh, yeah, it's. It, I don't think it creates as much security as the higher-ups think it does. I like two-factor authentication for some stuff. Some stuff I just don't want to be bothered, so that's why I use password lockers and stuff like that just to make life easy for me. As far as people not knowing how their software works before they implement it, I had I had no idea how anybody could do that. How do you, I had a friend who had a small like a crossover SUV. It wasn't quite a full SUV, but it wasn't a station wagon either. And they wanted to tow this really big camper trailer. And I said, uh, is it rated to tow that trailer? And they said, I don't know. And they went ahead and paid some company who didn't really give a rat's ass because they were making their money anyway to go ahead and put a tow hitch on. And uh, by rights, this thing could have a tow package, but it was supposed to take the one inch shank 
tow bar. I think that's what it was instead of the normal one you see on normal pickup trucks and bigger SUVs and things like that. And, uh, yeah, this guy started trying to tow this thing. And first thing he did was trash his transmission, had his transmission rebuilt. And then his motor went up because he's just putting too much strain on everything. I can't believe, I cannot believe he did not like twist his frame or anything like that. Trying to take off with this big ass heavy camper. But you know, the, the point is don't ever do something just because you want to test it out unless you've got all kinds of time to fix the problems, all kinds of money to fix the problems, etc. I mean, hell, I just started messing with a couple of AI programs and I'm nowhere close to feeling comfortable with integrating them into my website and things like that until I've gone through and tested them. Not only do I need to make sure that they work, I need to make sure I understand them because, you know, maybe it does what it's supposed to fine, but I'm implementing it wrong because I'm a dumbass. Then I'm not in any better position. So you kind of got to get every all your ducks in a row and then then you can go. That was a long way of saying don't be stupid. Liquid damage. Approximately 12 months ago, a customer calls me. Hey, that laptop you sold me? The keyboard's not working. Oh, sorry to hear that. What exactly is wrong? The bottom row of keys isn't working. Is it still in warranty? Oh, yes, this machine has a three-year warranty. I'll need to do some troubleshooting before I can send it off. Have you power cycled the laptop? Yeah, it still doesn't work. Okay. I proceed to talk the customer through the device manager. Uninstall keyboard device reboot. Still not working. Yes, it sounds faulty, all right. Do you have an external keyboard you can use in the meantime? Sure. All right, I'll go ahead and schedule the work. The service depot will send you a courier label. Pack it up, or I can do that for you. Put the label on and send it off. It'll take about a week. I can lend you a laptop while it's being fixed. All right. Now, I have to advise you that if they open it up and find liquid damage, it won't be a warranty claim, and you'll have to pay them for a new keyboard and labor before they send it back. Oh, uh, well, I can't spare it just now. I'll let you know when I have some time. Apparently, she's not able to spare it for over 12 months. <laughs> Duh, you just gave yourself away. Back in the days of dinosaur cell phones, flip phones and things like that, or Nokia's that didn't flip, nothing moved on them. The little antenna nub was pretty much stationary and everything. The bulletproof phones. But you could take the batteries out, which was nice because, you know... On a construction site, I couldn't I couldn't hang around a charger all day. And I had texts and phone calls going all day long. And I had a cordless phone with a landline at my job, you know, construction trailer. But sometimes the job site was big enough that it would get crappy signal all over the job site except for in the trailer. Well, I can't stay in a trailer all day. I got things to do. Got to check up on crews and make sure things are going to plan, you know. So anyway, you use your cell phone. And this was back in the day when cell phones were pretty expensive to run. Anyway, having a spare battery was cool. I had an extra battery that I always kept charged. And about halfway through the day, I was able to, and I had a, actually a second Nokia phone, same model, but the phone was kind of crappy, but it would allow the battery to charge with the charger hooked up to it. So what I did was I would put the, the dead battery in the crappy phone, stick it on the charger in my truck, put the fresh battery in my phone, and then go about my business. And I could just keep alternating like that. No problem. Well, I was out sick for a little while and I had one of the other guys come over and take over my job site and he was using the company phone. And uh, I get back and come to find out the phone stopped working one day on him and he just started using his company supplied cell phones. So no problem, whatever. 
And I checked into it. Nothing was charging right, and except for in the old crappy phone. The new phone, yeah, and even then when I took the batteries out and put them over into the other phone, they were acting weird. I just, I don't know what made me do it, but I happened to be looking at the battery for some reason. Like I had x-ray vision or something I could see into the battery. I don't know. Anyway, and there's a little dot, and the dot was like somewhere between faded pink and hot pink, somewhere in that range. And I learned that that was a moisture tab to tell if you doused your phone there was one on the battery and one on the phone itself and uh, come to find out this jackass left it sitting on a windowsill on the job site out in the rain and then i got blamed for it of course by the company so yeah i didn't have to pay for it but i did get a good ass chilling so yeah what are you gonna do question is whether we call hazmat or the bomb squad I technically work for a hospital, and my job title used to be something medicine-related. This was problematic because hospitals are really big on required trainings, and a lot of the trainings I had to participate in were medicine-related. Things like, what's the ratio for bleach to biological material before it's safe to pour down the drain? I had no idea, and eventually my manager worked out an arrangement with the hospital. They changed my job title to something tech-related, and I have to work in help desk once a month. It's not a bad deal. Doing help desk day in and day out would be soul-crushing. Trust me, I've been there. Once a month, though, that's infrequent enough to feel like it's kind of fun rather than a chore. So I'm at the help desk once a month. Yesterday, I was at the help desk doing my thing when a woman came in with an Apple laptop. She's saying she was using it in bed last night, and it got really hot, and then it turned off, and the laptop started to creak. <laughs> Hearing this was alarming in and of itself. But then she brought the laptop out of its bag, and I saw something you never want to see up close. The battery was no longer a battery. It was the spiciest pillow I'd ever seen. The actual outer layer of the battery, mostly intended to keep the battery rigid, was stretched and torn and the inside liner of the battery, mostly intended to keep the battery from bursting, was starting to bulge out. I could see this because the bottom portion of said laptop was bent to such a degree that one of the screws had actually popped out and the pillow was easily visible. I promptly skipped back two steps myself and in the calmest voice I could manage at the time, ma'am I'm going to need you to take several steps back away from the laptop and then followed that in a louder tone reserved for when someone's doing the best to stay calm, but all they really want to do is shit their pants. I need everyone at least six feet away from this portion of the desk, please. Everyone promptly withdrew while the woman was still standing there confused. What? What do you mean? It's just a laptop. I grabbed a full timer and quietly asked him to track down the thermal camera. I had to ask him twice since he was just staring at the laptop, not unlike someone might do if a train accident is imminent. Then he nodded and disappeared into the back. Ma'am, please take two big steps backwards. Was it hot when you took it out of the bag, I asked, mentally crossing my fingers that it wasn't. She staggered back a step. Uh, I don't think so. Why? I was still staring at the laptop. If it's hot, we need to call the fire department or possibly the bomb squad. If it's not, I can just call hazmat. Laptop batteries explode if they start to bulge like that. Her mouth opened and closed a few times without making any actual words come out. Just vague noises. Everyone in the vicinity heard the B word and suddenly decided they had urgent business literally anywhere else. I was jealous. The full timer I'd grabbed came back with the thermal camera and the help desk manager. Help desk manager saw the laptop everyone was staring at and just said, Oh hell no! Have we called anyone yet? I used the thermal camera and the battery wasn't hot enough to be alarming. Probably had some charge in it, but it wasn't at risk of actively venting. No, I don't know who to call about hazmat. Maybe 10 minutes after I handed the camera back, two grumpy looking janitors wearing heavy gloves and carrying what appeared to be a big box with a heavy lid showed up. They looked at the laptop. One of them said, damn. I said, yup. 
They gingerly placed the box next to the laptop, took the top off the box, then placed the entire laptop inside. Lib went on and then they both took a side and carried it gingerly out of the room. Everyone took a big sigh of relief and seemed to slump a little. The woman who brought the laptop in asked for a desktop to replace the laptop. Can't imagine why. I gotta say, I've got very... Oh, by the way, you see the red stuff around my eyes? I haven't barely been crying. Uh, my allergies are still kicking my ass. The high point of every day the last few days has been 80 degrees. And this up and down temperatures, between those temperature changes and the allergies, I'm just... Anyway, I'm not crying, you're crying. I've never had experience with a battery. I mean, I've had them get a little a little puffed out, but I've never had a battery actually get to the point where it looked like it was bursting at the seams. Like, do you remember, I don't know if any of you guys are old enough or, you know, made popcorn like this. We always made regular popcorn in a pan, you know, just pour some in on the bottom and with a little oil and make popcorn. But a lot of my friends, their parents would buy them the Jiffy Pop stuff. It's like a like a foil pie pan with a lid on it and a built-in wire handle and you, you, know, you just put that on. It's all ready to go, all in one shot. No mess. You throw the whole thing away when you're done. Well, as the popcorn pops, the foil on top expands with it until it kind of pops open at the top so the steam comes out. And uh, that's what this story reminds me of. I've never had a battery do that, but uh, I can imagine that those batteries would cause a lot of havoc. Even if they didn't explode, just catching fire would be an issue. So, uh, The Enemies Within, another one from Nero Bro. The Network is Flat, Episode 130. As usual, cities, countries, etc. are obf obfuscated. It's easy for you to say. So I'm new at this MSP, and I'm expected to be able to diagnose network issues. Now, I'm sitting here trying to figure out what is where. I spent a whole month trying to get a grip on what their network looked like, and when pressed, the customer's internal IT kept saying the network was flat. No matter what, the network was flat. And last week they started using a new IP range, and were yelling at me about why I couldn't route to the whole network. Let's talk about how flat that network is. There's a core network in Nairobi. They have another network in Casablanca. They have a satellite office in Austin. They have three data centers which don't correspond with those cities. They have several physical offices with their own switches and networks in them. They have a firewall cluster uh, that I don't get access to. They have multiple separate cloud-based server clusters. So there's tunnels between sites. Tunnels between server clusters, tunnels between data centers. Users can connect through two separate VPNs that have different entry points. And the routes on each of these links aren't coherent and IP space isn't recorded anywhere. If their network is flat, so is Dolly Parton. If their network's flat, a London black cab is a sports car. If their network's flat, I'm a capybara. Capybara, that's like that big giant rat looking thing, isn't it? I don't know what flat network means and uh, I haven't looked it up so you guys, I'm going to have to rely on you guys to tell us down in the comments below, but uh sounds like a whole lot of headache, especially going between countries, between towns, between whatever, uh, and probably somebody who didn't know what they were doing, you know, it, somebody probably had an expert at each location setting things up, but they were totally different, there was no continuity and I don't know if it works like that with networks, but everything else seems to go kerfluey when you have situations like that, so I can only imagine. And Nero bro again. The enemies within. This is critical. Yes, we can do it, but you do it. Episode 129. Yup, I'm still doing this. The break was due to burnout. I'm sure you can imagine why. So I work for an MSP now, as opposed to an ISP. And boy, things are a lot less clear around the edges. Too long didn't read? Tell your MSP what's important to you. If you're doing the same job internally, you should examine your tools too. Today's tale is about monitoring. Borant corporation has a FTP site they need to be up. It's critical to their processes. If it's down, lots of people can't submit work. So it's a big deal. 
They don't use the built-in programs to do their SFTP. They have separate paid for SFTP servers, which is unstable. They pay us to maintain their servers and monitor things, which is a good place to be in. But they also get to run wild with what software they install and what's critical to them. Somehow they have no responsibility to tell us how things are supposed to work and what's critical. No, this is not a healthy relationship. Three days ago, the server process stopped running overnight. The first on-call I got on this was okay. Lucia Marr, the knock nerd, had mostly handled things on their own, but we discussed things, and I double-checked their work. Everything seemed fine. I verified things were working as best I could. Three hours later, Hecla called, 2.19 a.m. Hecla works for a company we hired to answer phones overnight and do minor work. Hecla was absolutely fixated on what the call was categorized as and what level it was. Every time Hecla stopped speaking, I asked who called and what the trouble was. But more excuses of why they decided to call spilled forth. It was a solid two minutes into the call before I got them to stop and tell me what the heck I was going to work on. It turns out it was the same FTP issue. I was not pleased after that interaction. In the grandest of great decisions, the department I work for is separate from monitoring. And there's no clear path to communicate between my department and monitoring. But I was able to wrangle admin access to the system a while back. I was able to find a tool within our monitoring system that's supposedly able to monitor what processes are running on the Windows machine. So I turned that on. I've never seen the alarm trigger. This, in my opinion, is not a good technique for monitoring. Processes fail and don't shut down all the time, so while it's monitored, it's monitored poorly. This is a limitation of the tool we use. Let's say I'm not a fan at this point. There are some workarounds, like you can write a script on the host server that does better checks, then reports back to the monitoring program. It might be time to describe the environment a bit. I work for the MSP. We'll call us Valte. Valte. Borant runs their own IT department, network department, and monitoring environment. In parallel with us. There's literally six cooks in his kitchen and everyone wants to protect their territory. And everyone has a really serious dose of don't blame me going on. What's important here is Borant runs a different monitoring program internally and one that I know well. It does the monitoring they need without any fancy tricks. I asked if they could, you know, add the SFT process monitor to their install of IT Monitor 42. And they rightly told me I was the MSP and I should do that on my own. Sure, I can develop a system that'll properly monitor the SFTP site, but that's not happening today. But you, Borant, is having problems right now. With a solution at hand right now, but you'd rather yell at me about it. Cool, 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 cool. So I escalated to my boss. Zev suggested I talk to Carl, as our monitoring system is his responsibility. Working with Carl, I found out that my alarm worked. Seeing I'm in engineering, it's not my job to watch alarms, it's the Knox job. The Knox hasn't been following up and Baran is mad because they're seeing hours of downtime on this SFTP process. Carl set the alarms I set up to be our top level alarm, so maybe we'll get told about them in time now. Now we wait. I have a deliverable in 90 minutes of what we're monitoring for Barant and how. And somehow between now and then, Zev and I need to figure out how to say that Valte Corp isn't incompetent at the same time as telling them the problem only might be solved. And the worst bit? Barant has tickets open with another vendor to find out why their SFTP service keeps dying. So this is just about getting janitors to keep the mess swept up. Holy cow, there's a lot there. Sounds sort of like the last story where, you know, too many cooks in the kitchen. Well, OP already said that. Really what you need is one person or one company to head all of it. Even if you don't handle, physically handle the processes, at least like, okay, when I was a construction superintendent, we were a contracting, uh, general contractor. 
we would actually hire all the people that we needed through the process and run it for the owner. We were there for the owner's interest. Well, I mean, everybody's there for their owner's interest and the pay. But the point was, we were the sole contact from the owners, the architects, the engineers, and the subs, and everybody else. So we had our hands in all of it, so we made sure that even if we didn't directly have anything to do with certain processes, we knew who was supposed to, and we would lean on them to go ahead and do their job or you know, have their checks held. This is back when we actually had paper checks. Hey guys, YouTube thinks you're going to like this video right up here. Do me a favor. Would you click it? It really helps the channel out. And I really appreciate when you do that. All right, we'll see you.